Right, good evening, SNU. How, how is everyone feeling? Long day? All right. Um, yeah, so this is the second time uh, I've had the privilege to preach here at SNU Large Group. Uh, I guess last semester when I came, it wasn't too terrible. So, uh, JP, welcome you back. Um, yeah, I just want to encourage you guys, like, Man, that, that praise was powerful, man. I, I haven't been to many, like, Emmaus Lodge groups in the different campuses, but uh, that was definitely, like, you know, that was, like, really probably the most powerful worship um, I've experienced at a large group. So, yeah, I really believe that God's here. Um, he's moving, you know, within this campus. He has a plan for Seoul National University, and, uh, and I think you guys are a big part of that, um, even just being part of it for a semester. I think God is really using you guys. Um, yeah, I just want to encourage you that... Um, uh, so I, I work uh, at the church that a lot of you guys attend. And I'm kind of just in the church a lot. But I really see you guys as kind of like on the front line. Like you guys are the missionaries, you know, the crew members, student leaders, um, even the students here who are sharing God's love with you know, each other. Like you are living it out. You're living out the gospel, the Great Commission. So I want to encourage you, keep going. You know, it can be tough. Uh, it can be like embarrassing to like talk to people about Jesus and stuff. But um, I think through that, like you will grow in your own, in your own faith, in your own relationship with God. And uh, um, yeah, you'll really be changed through this experience. So thank you. Um, Amaze Retreat is coming up this weekend. Uh, has everyone signed up? Can everyone go? Um, I would really encourage you guys to go. I've uh, served there as like a small group leader, I think two, three times. Um, yeah, and each time I've just seen really people's lives transformed. Um, you know, it doesn't mean like they're suddenly all holy, but I think God takes someone from a place of hopelessness, despair, um, they could never see themselves changing, or maybe he exposed areas of their life where you know, they were trapped. And I've really seen freedom being released in the retreats. So please go there with expectation and you know, with hunger. Um, sign up if you haven't signed up already. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to do the announcements now, but um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just remember a couple of guys. Uh, one guy I saw, um, he was able to really give uh, forgiveness to his father. And he didn't even realize that he'd been holding on to that. And it'd been like inhibiting his relationship with God. And once he was able to like really forgive his father, that guy was just completely changed at the end of the retreat. Uh, another guy who was in my small group, um, he was kind of just a big like Chinese guy, played games and stuff. And now he's in seminary. Like, man, God can transform people, uh, not just through the retreat, but just through Emmaus, through this season. So... Um, I think a lot of the crew members, student leaders have been at retreats before as well. So please ex ask them, like, what's their experience? What's their testimony? What did they see God do? Um, and that will really stir up your appetite, your hunger for the retreat. Um, yeah, and I'm really honored to be preaching, like, the large group before the retreat. I was talking with JP. I was like, I checked the dates. and like, Yo, are you sure you want me to preach before retreat? Like, do you not have anyone else? Like, is there no one available? Um, but he, he assured me, like, it was intentional. Uh, he really felt that, you know, God wanted to 
speak through me for you guys to really prepare your hearts um, for this weekend. So let's get stuck into it. I, I'm not sure if I have too much here, but you know, I really want to go deep today. Um, so let's open our Bibles or phones, flip to Genesis 15, and uh, I'm going to just read through the passage and then open in prayer. Um, it's a bit long, so let's, let's read it together. Genesis 15. Uh, let's read it together. I'll read uh, one verse, and then you guys can follow with the following verse. Okay, so I'll start. Genesis 15, from verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. The land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Amen. All right, I'm just going to pray for us as we begin the message. Uh, Father, I just thank you, God, um, just for your love, for your grace. And we pray, God, that through your word tonight, uh, that we would come to know just a little bit more a little bit deeper, a little bit um, more intimately, your love for us. And I pray, God, that Holy Spirit, uh, you would start to stir up our hearts with a hunger, with a desire for you, God, to know you, um, to experience that freedom that is available through Jesus. 
Uh, so, Lord, I just thank you for this message, um, what you're going to do tonight. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I just want to start with a little video clip. So I'll get a DP to fire that up. Wait, was that okay to show? <laughs> Alcohol, kissing. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to be de- preaching on dating. No. Um, so this, uh, this drama is called Taeyang Ehue, Descendants of the Sun. It captivated the attention of many middle-aged women in Korea earlier this year. Um, I did watch it, I'll confess. Um, I don't know, it's something about like a guy in uniform, a military man. I think uh, interest in military service kind of increased after this um, series. And I don't know, the guy just reminds me of like a young Tom Cruise in Top Gun. Like, got the moves, like the, 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 like the, the mobile phone thing. Um, but, you know, romantic dramas in Korea. Love is such a powerful emotion. You know, it can just overwhelm our senses. We literally can become lovesick. We can be crazy in love. It's really one of the most powerful experiences that we can uh, really relate to. We can all have that common experience, uh, especially um, unrequited love. Jaksaram. You know what that is? It's when uh, you have a crush but that other person is not interested. Or maybe they don't know. It's just not reciprocated. Um, I, I am 30. I'm 30 now. And uh, in my time, I'll admit, I've had a few crushes. Uh, I want to tell you one story about a girl called, uh, we'll just call her Kelly. All right, I'm not going to use her real name. Uh, she probably won't listen to this, but still. Um, she was like the first uh, serious girl I had a crush on. Uh, it was actually the first Korean girl I had a crush on. I kind of went to school with a lot of like white Australian people, um, not many Asian friends. Um, but as I went into college, uh, you know, the international students, my other Korean friends, um, I started getting more in touch with my Korean side, should, should we say. Um, and, you know, when you have a crush, uh, has anyone not had a crush ever? I think that's a, that's a more appropriate question to, to ask, right? All right? So we all know what it's like. You know, you want to just try and hang around. You sort of sit near them. And you sort of just you know, have, have conversations with them. Just sort of put yourself in that position to, to really interact with them. Um, so yeah, I was, I was pretty... I didn't say in love. I guess you could say I was in love with this girl, had this crush, and I had this wise old Nuna, like an older sister at church, who tried to give me advice. She was like, Daniel, you're blind. She's not, that, she's not right for you. She's, honestly, she's a bit boring. But I said, no. No, Nuna, you're wrong. She's the one. Oh, this is, this is real love. She's so interesting. She's so funny. She's so artistic. And so, you know, when you're in that situation, what do you do? You want to find out what she likes, find out what she's interested in. I actually um, found out what she liked and ordered a present for her off eBay and gave it to her for Christmas. And then later, after that, 
I cooked a lunch for her and brought it to a college campus and we ate it together. It was like pasta. That's crazy. <laughs> Who does that? Who does that? And luckily, my uh, older sister, my Nuna, not related to me, but just a church sister, she was on the inside. She was friends with her. So I had like contact on the inside, right? And she just kind of like, just kind of brought it up just to, you know, see how things were. Um, and she, she came back, she's like, Daniel, it doesn't look good, man. Like, so she asked him, he's like, oh, what, like, you guys hang out last week? And she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, he, he brought, um, yeah, he brought lunch uh, to, to my college campus and we had lunch together. And she was like, and? What? Just, he's friendly, right? And she goes, no, honey. <laughs> guys do not do that just to be friends. Um, but yeah, the news was not good. The, the prognosis was not good. Um, but I still, I just kept believing, kept hoping. If I cooked more food, if I gave him more presents, something would change, right? Um, but eventually I found out that she was interested in one of my hyongs, an older brother at church. I was just devastated. And that's how it ended. So when you look at it this way, <laughs> it's, really, it's kind of sad, right? Um, but our human love, especially when we talk about like infatuation, it's very trivial. It's kind of funny. It's a little bit sad when we look at it like this. It can be very selfish. And really, it's very conditional. I like her. I love her. Because I want something back from her, which is her affections, her love. Our human love can often be based on getting what we want, not about what we can give to the other person. So I just want to sort of shift this back towards God and stuff. What do you think of when you hear the line, Jesus loves you? God is pursuing your heart. God is desperate for you. What do you think of that? Like, what do you think when you hear that? Is it, do you picture something similar to what I just described? This like desperate love, this infatuation? Is that what comes to mind? Is it more of like a warm, cuddly, oh, you know, like Jesus loves me. I feel so comforted. Or is it more of this kind of, um, I guess, cold, kind of emotionless, like, God chooses to love me. He died on the cross for my sins. This kind of more intellectual concept of love. I just want to get you to think about that. Like, what do you think of when you hear God loves you? And then how do you respond to that? You might be, like, not really... Um, you might not know much about Christianity. So you kind of, you've heard it a few times, but you don't really understand what it means. It could be you. Or it could make you feel all sort of warm and cuddly on the inside. It feels like being hugged by a parent. When you hear God loves me, it's like, oh, I feel so safe. I feel so comfortable. Or maybe if you've been around the block a few times, you might feel a bit apathetic. It's just become this cliche. It doesn't really hold that meaning, that punch anymore, right? 
And you might be in a place where like being a Christian, living for God, it's a bit of a drag. It's kind of become a bit of a burden. Serving, serving, serving. Doing, doing, doing. And then every now and again, it's like, God loves you. Yes, amen. Um, But I went to a wedding yesterday. It was a sister at our church. Same age as me. A really fun wedding. Um, And we see there a kind of a deeper level of human love, right? In marriages. So we see like, we describe it as like that true sacrificial love between a husband and a wife, right? And even that in itself is kind of God trying to show us a little bit about what it's like to have uh, received love from Jesus. But even that, you know, honestly, that is just a pale shadow, a pale reflection of God's true love for us. You know, the love that Jesus has for us, the church, and a love that's freely offered to you. Right? Our human experience, it can reflect but not fully comprehend God's love for us. It's so different, it's so much deeper, so much more real than anything that we can give or receive from other people. Um, so, okay, you might be a little bit confused right now. What does love, what does Jaksarang, what does Taeyang Ehuye have anything to do with the passage we just read? You know, like cutting animals in half and, you know, smoking pots and not <laughs> smoking fire pots and uh, flaming torches. <laughs> oh, I keep doing this. <laughs> right, it might not seem to connect, but tonight I want to show you. I want to show you that this passage actually declares God's love for you. Okay? And I hope it's kind of fresh. It's a different angle on understanding God's love. Because probably you've never really connected this passage with love before. Are we here like, love is kind, love is patient, da-da-da-da. Not cut the animals in half and you know, fall into a deep sleep and have a vision, right? So I hope that you leave tonight just with a fresh understanding of just how like otherworldly, how different God's love is compared to human love. But at the same time, it's familiar. We can understand it. It's possible for us to start to comprehend His love and for it to transform us. All right, so we're going to turn back to the Bible passage. Genesis 15. Let's uh, start from the top. Okay, so this is a story about Abraham. Okay, so uh, who knows who Abraham is. Can I just get your hand up? Like you've heard of him before. Everyone? Almost, yeah, pretty much everyone. All right, so Abraham, uh, he, you could call him the father of the faith, like the very first guy who kind of had that real relationship with God, uh, the father of Israel. And I think through his story, we learn uh, what it means, what it looks like to have a relationship with God. Okay, so that's why I want to look at Abraham today. Uh, In this story, he is called Abram, which is before his name was changed to Abraham. But I think, um, just to make it easier, we'll just call him Abraham, right? Now, a few chapters before in Genesis 12, God calls him to leave his house, and he gives him a promise. Leave your house, trust in me, and 
I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing to others. And so he promises to make his family into a huge nation. He promises him blessing and power. And he, and he promises to use him to bless other people, to be a channel of God's blessing. And really the whole point of that is so that the world will know God, so that everyone can worship God through him. So Abraham's left, he's trusted God, and we come to this point. He's gone through a few fights and battles. And the first thing God says to him here is, Fear not. Fear not. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Now, God's telling him to fear not because he is... How do you think he's feeling right now? Fearful. Right Right now, he's afraid. What's just happened? He's just had to fight this king to rescue his nephew. He is all alone in this new land, just a guy with a few sheep and servants, surrounded by kings, by armies, by cities. He doesn't even have a son. God's promised him to have a big family. He doesn't even have a son of his own because his wife can't have children. So I think it's pretty reasonable that right now he would be afraid. He's wondering, what did I just do? I just left everything I knew back home. And I've come here, and nothing's really changed. Nothing's really improved. I've gotten a bit richer. I still don't even have a son. And what God does here is, he's trying to reassure him of the promise that he made. That the promise he spoke to him years ago, he's still going to keep it. Don't be afraid. I'm going to protect you. And what I promised you, is still going to come true. Trust in me. Um, so I think we can all relate to that. You know, when we're afraid, we tend to focus not on God's promise to us, not on what the Bible says, but we focus on what's causing us to be afraid. Right? We lose sight of the big picture. But, you know, it's okay. It's okay to be afraid. It's okay to doubt sometimes. God knows that. And He's going to find ways to encourage you and strengthen you, right? He, he gave us his spirit, and he also gave us this community, Emmaus, your church community, um, to really encourage us. Uh, so moving on, uh, if you look at verses 5 and 6, so God promises Abraham by speaking a word to him, and then in 5 and 6, he shows him something, right? He shows him the stars in the heavens. He gave him a sign. Now, if you look up at the heavens outside and said the same thing, so you go, Abraham, go outside, look up at the stars. If you can count them, this is how many descendants are going to be. In Seoul, if you do that, you'll be like, one, two, three, four, five. I'm going to have five children. Great. No, so back in those days, obviously, there's no cities, no lights. And literally, if you've ever been camping or something, there are just more stars than you can count. So God said, look, I'm showing you in a new, different way. This is my promise to you. Remember it. Every time he went outside at night and looked up, he would have remembered God's promise. Right? So God's, again, trying to like reassure him, re- like encourage him. And what was Abraham's response? Verse 6, He believed the Lord, 
and he counted it to him as righteousness. So we're going to come back to this verse later. Um, But Abraham, essentially, he trusted him. And God said, that's it. That's all you need to do. Let's move forward. Okay, so let's move on to verse 7. So I just want to go through this um, so we can have an idea of what happened. In verse 7, So God said, I'm the Lord who brought you out of Ur and the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But then Abraham says, Lord, how am I to know that I shall possess it? So God just showed him something. Abraham believed it and said, okay. And in the very next line, he's asking him again. He's doubting again. All right. Now, I think it's just, it's just showing us that Abraham's human. And I think we can relate to that. God gives us promises. We hear something at church. But then as soon as we go back to school, as soon as we go back to work, doubt. You go back to your old patterns. That's just like the human, uh, just the human way, I think. And I think God, again, he doesn't say, like, are, you, are you kidding me, Abraham? Stars, right? Everything. Don't you remember? He doesn't say that. He says, okay, I think you need a little bit more encouragement. I think you need a bit more assurance. So this is what he does. And I want to focus on this this particular section. God says to him, okay, bring me a heifer, which is a cow. Bring me a cow that's three years old. Bring me a female goat that's three years old. Bring me um, a ram, a male sheep that's three years old. Bring me a turtle dove and bring me a pigeon. And then, it's funny how Abraham knows what to do with them. God doesn't tell him to cut it open. But when Abraham comes, he's like, oh, okay, I think I know what you're doing. Cuts them open, lays them out, but he doesn't cut the birds in half. Uh, That's not really relevant. But Now, I just want to show you a photo of what this looks like. So we can get the uh, first photo. Okay, so if you can see it. Sorry, there's, there weren't many illustrations available from this passage, which is probably not surprising. Um, but yes, this well-designed photo shows us the cow, the goat, the ram, literally cut in half and placed in a line on either side. And what you see is that the blood pools in the middle. Okay? Now, how does this have anything to do with anything? What you see here is, in the time of Abraham, a contract, a covenant, an agreement between two parties. This is what what we now put on paper. This is how they did it back then. When two, two kings came to an agreement or there was like a transaction selling land to each other. This is how they drew up the contract. And what they would do is they would walk through the middle of them, stepping in the blood. And this was a symbol of, if I go back on this contract, this agreement, then I will pay for it with blood. Right? Maybe his life 
or he would need to sacrifice something in order to substitute for his life. Right? So today we would just see like a contract of sale on a piece of paper. Back then, obviously they didn't have writing and things like that and printers. So this is how they did it. This is how you held someone to their word. Okay? And again, it's, it's funny how God did something that Abraham was familiar with. Right? Abraham knew about the stars. He saw them every day. Abraham knew about this contract system. He didn't, God didn't even have to tell him what to do. He just automatically knew. So even though God's love is so crazy and beyond our comprehension, he tries to relate to us in ways that we can understand it, right? Okay, so that was up to verse 11. Moving on. What happens? Oh, it's nighttime. It took so long to cut the animals in half. It's nighttime now, okay? So Abraham falls into a sleep. So he's sleeping. But again, that fear is still upon him. The great darkness falls upon him while he's sleeping. He still hasn't really dealt with that fear in his heart. So God speaks to him again. So again, he's speaking again, showing him something, speaking again, showing him something. And what does he say? He pretty much tells him the future of his family. So this is what's going to happen. I'm spelling it out for you. This is what's going to happen. Right, he says, uh, your, your descendants will go to a land. There'll be slaves there. They'll live there for 400 years. And then they'll come out again. I'm going to bring them out again. So if you're familiar with it, he's telling them the story of Exodus, the next book. He's telling them, this is what's going to happen, okay? Trust me. They're going to come back here and they're going to live in this place. And to supplement the word, supplement the promise he made, he shows him another sign. So Abraham, he sees this in his dream. So let's read verse 17. So when the sun had gone down, and it was dark. Behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. So if you get the third, third picture, um, when you're ready, I'll just read the next verse. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, and so on and so on. So I just want to show you a photo of this last verse. A uh, smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass through the middle of the pieces. Um, I don't know what Moses was smoking, but... Sorry, is that a bad... I'm sorry, Moses. I'm sorry, Jesus. But this is what God shows him. It's kind of like, what? Like, um, what does this mean? I told you that uh, the contract was sealed, was agreed upon, when the two parties walked through the blood, through the middle. So what we see here is we see a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passing through the middle. So what, what is the fire pot? What is the torch? If we look at Exodus, which is what God just talked to Abraham about, if we look at the next photo actually, um, what happened was when God was bringing his people out of Egypt, he led them as a pillar of fire. 
the flaming torch, and also as a pillar of cloud, the smoke. So these two images represent God's presence, his presence there among his people. And also there's another aspect of God's presence, if you look at the next photo, which is called the altar of incense. So if you think about smoke, like the incense burning candle, um, if you think about coming to large group today, we have our scented candles there, right? If you come in without the scented candles, it smells like mildew and like underground basement number one level. But the scented candles, the incense, it fills this place with a beautiful fragrance, or at least it doesn't makes it not smell as bad. In the temple, it was the same. They were killing animals all day long in the temple, burning things. So if you've ever burnt your hair or anything, you can smell, you, you know that smell of burning like oil, like human oil. Imagine that smell in the temple. Well, the altar of incense not only practically covered the smell, but it also represented God's presence in that place. So what we have is the fire pot and the flaming torch actually symbols of God's presence. So what's happening? God himself is walking in between the two rows of cut animals. He is signing or sealing this covenant, this agreement between him and Abraham. Okay. First thing, God is giving another sign of his promise to Abraham. Right? Abraham, he's so afraid that it takes him multiple times, but each time God gives him a stronger and a stronger symbol. It's okay. It's okay. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It's okay. It's okay that you're doubting. It's okay. Here is my promise again and again and again. Now, if you think about how we show love, um, let's just say Mr. Chris Raj over there. He is so in love with... A girl. I will not use, I don't don't think it's appropriate. Let's say Chris Raj is in love with a girl back home in Malaysia, a lovely Indian girl. How do we show love? We tell them, oh baby, I love you. (laughs) You're the world to me. You're You're my flower, you're my rose baby. And also we give them gifts. This is, this is, I'm sorry, Diane. (laughs) And we give them gifts. We do, we stand up on a table and shout to the entire restaurant how much we love this woman. We show signs of our love. For me, what I see here is God is doing that same thing. Because love for God is not about an emotion. It's about his choice, his commitment. His promise to us. So I see in this passage, God is saying, Abraham, I love you. I'm committed to you. Abraham's like, Abraham's like, yes, God, but I'm still afraid. So God's like, okay, I'll try again. And Chris, Chris is like, baby, I love you. She's like, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that's enough. So let me show you. Look at the stars outside in Malaysia. There's so, oh wait, there's, it's kind of smoggy in Kuala Lumpur today. Uh, but let's go, like, you know what I mean. And I think in a similar way, so in a way that's familiar to us, 
God is reassuring Abraham of his love, of his commitment to him. And so I just want to hit on two aspects that we see from this passage that describe God's love. First, his commitment is forever, never-ending. All right? My commitment to Kelly was not forever. It was not never-ending. Once I knew she was interested in my young, that was it. That was it, man. And we see... Let's focus. Uh, let's... <laughs> let's uh, sorry, that was my fault anyway. If we look at the image of the fire pot, the smoke, and the flaming torch, in Exodus, the cloud, the fire... It says uh, in 13, Exodus chapter 13, verse 22, that the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from, uh, from uh, before the people. So it was there permanently there, guiding them, leading them to the promised land. And before Jesus came, uh, God's presence was limited. It was uh, confined to the temple area in Jerusalem. But we see in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, at the very beginning it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. God's commitment to us, His love, is so real, so deep, that the infinite God of the universe came down to become one of us so that he could be with us forever. So that he could be with us anywhere, not just in a temple. The second point, uh, God's love is unilateral, which means one direction. So my love was one direction, right? The un reciprocated love. My love was one direction. And the significance of the fire pot and the torch passing through, it's that actually Moses, uh, sorry, Abraham is never shown as walking through. Did you notice that? Only God walked through the sacrifice. Only he um, put upon himself the consequences of what happens if that relationship is broken. He said, I am committing to you. You do not have to make the same commitment back to me. It is not an equal relationship in that sense. Understand? It's a unilateral promise that he makes to us. I am giving a promise to you. And to Abraham, it was to have children, to have a nation come from him, to be blessed, to be a blessing. And that promise didn't depend on Abraham's compliance. It didn't depend on his works. It didn't depend on how awesome he could be. And that's why this aspect of a one-directional love is important. It's because it means that God's love, His commitment to us, is also unconditional. It doesn't depend on what we can do for Him. Okay? 
And if the promise was broken, if Abraham turned away from the promise, God, he committed to pay the penalty by himself. Abraham did not have to you know, give his own life for not upholding the relationship. Okay? Now, how does this relate to us? Uh, this relates to us because God's love, his promise with Abraham, it also extended to his descendants, to his offspring. Right? It passes down the generations. So Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, God continued to renew the promise each generation. And it says uh, in Galatians that it even extends to us today uh, through Jesus Christ, who was a descendant of Abraham himself. And so we have this promise in our hand. God has offered it to us. But um, how do we know that when we aren't sure about God's promise, how do we know that He's going to keep our promise? He's going to keep the promise to us. How do we know the promise is going to be fulfilled? Uh, we have the Bible. The Bible is God's word to us. He promises us um, you know, His love. But He also gave a sign to us as well. So we have all the stories in the Bible, but there is the one ultimate sign, the one ultimate demonstration of his love, of his commitment to us, and that's the cross of Jesus Christ. Uh, because we couldn't keep this promise with God, someone had to pay the price, and it was him. He sent his son, Jesus, to come to be with us, to know us, and then to pay the price of that broken agreement with his blood. And that, if you think about it that way, it's like that ultimate expression of love that, that's beyond anything we could give. You know, it doesn't matter how many flowers we send to our partner. It doesn't matter how many presents we buy, how many stupid, crazy things we do. You know, God's love is deeper than any love that a mother could have for their child. It's deeper than in, you know, any, the love any husband could have for his wife. It lasts longer than the greatest BFF relationship that you could ever have in this lifetime. And God's love is so perfect, so amazing. But in a funny way, He makes it understandable to us. We can see Him you know, offering His love to us. So I just want to finish off with our response. God is giving this perfect, amazing love to us. But how are we to respond? It seems kind of hard to reciprocate that love. Okay? So for me, I was giving all this love, pasta, little presents to this girl called Kelly. And you know what? I wanted her to give that same love back to me. I wanted her to reciprocate that. The same commitment, the same love, affection back to me. Chris Raj... When he meets his future wife, this lucky woman, maybe in Malaysia, when he showers her with his love, he's doing it with the expectation that it will be reciprocated back to him. But does anyone really believe that they can give back to God that same kind of love that he gives to us? No. And we're just going to finish by looking at verse 5 and 6 again. Because 
Abraham responded to God's love and it was deemed acceptable. It was seen as enough. So what type of response was that? So God uh, took Abraham outside, going back to that verse 5, and said, look toward the heaven and number the stars, if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he, Abraham, believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. So two words here, believed, righteousness. What exactly does that mean? Belief. It's not just intellectual assent. I think for me, that was a big kind of hurdle I had to overcome in my relationship with God. Like, God, I know you love me. God, I know Jesus came and died for me. But that mere knowledge didn't transform my heart. That mere knowledge didn't result in a relationship with him, in me receiving his love. So the word belief here, it's more than just assent, intellectual assent. It means to trust in a way that you're, you act according to that trust. I believe in God's promise, so I'm going to live accordingly. I'm going to live in a way where that is a truth for my life. It's not just, oh, I know about that, but I'm just going to live my own life. Exactly the same. Belief is a trust that changes your behavior, that changes the way you live. So Abraham had that belief. I believe that you are going to give me children that are going to number the stars. And I'm going to live like that. And then what did this belief result in? Righteousness. Can everyone say righteousness? Righteousness. Righteousness. It doesn't mean... Being like Pastor John Park, righteous man of God. It doesn't mean being a holy man, perfect in every decision and action that you make. It's not a morality-based righteousness about right and wrong, ethical. Because sometimes, a lot of the times, our relationship with God, it kind of ends up being that way. Count how many times I did my QT how many times I did the right thing, and then if I passed a certain number, I feel good about myself this week. I feel like my relationship is good. I feel righteous. No, 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 no. The meaning of the word righteousness, especially for the Hebrew, the Jewish culture, it's about right relationship. And you've heard this before, I'm pretty sure. It's right relationship. It means to do what your relationship requires. So my relationship with Chris Raj does not require me to call him every single day. He would probably think I'm being weird if I did that. That would not be righteous. Pastor Daniel, you are not righteous right now. I'm, I'm kind of worried about you. My relationship with my future wife, whoever that is out there in the universe would require me to see her every day and say, how are you doing, honey? (laughs) Muffin. (laughs) (laughs) Babe. (laughs) That 
would be righteous according to my relationship with my wife. So, what is the relationship between Abraham and God? God said, I'm going to take on this promise, this covenant, all upon myself. I just need you to trust that I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do and live like it. I need you to believe and change your actions accordingly, to actually live out that belief. All right? That's all he needed to do. Once he's entered into that relationship, what he actually does, it doesn't affect the relationship anymore. Once he puts his trust in God, he's always in that relationship with God. And then God said, if you stuff up, it's okay, I'm going to pay the price. And we're going to continue this agreement. I'm going to make sure it happens. Right? He even predicted 400 years, it's going to happen. Right? I'm not going to let it not happen. Right? That's how much his commitment is one way. So, um, so if we consider our context, so our relationship with God, I just want to address one quick question before I finish. You might think, okay, if God's love is always there for me, what's the rush? I'll just, I'll just believe in Him later, after I've gone clubbing, after I've had a bit of fun, you know? A bit later, I'll believe in Him, I'll have a family, everything will go well, and then I'll go to heaven. All right? That's a legitimate question. And my answer to that is not that God's love is going to make everything easy, so you should get on board. Um, yeah, a life of faith, a life following Jesus is not easy. There's going to be fear and doubt, just like we saw with Abraham. It's going to be hard sometimes. But I feel like the answer is not to play it safe with your life. Not to just do what's comfortable. Uh, not to put it off because, you know, it's going to be inconvenient. Yeah, God's love is not about giving you an easy life. Um, Abraham had to go through a lot of challenges, a lot of obstacles. But really, that was part of God's plan to help him grow in his faith, help him grow in his trust, help him become more uh, a stronger believer. Yeah, so I don't want you to um, be put off by this idea that, you know, I might have to go through pain and suffering if I follow Jesus. I might risk being disappointed because what if the things I want to happen in my life don't happen after following Jesus? Don't let that stop you. For me, the reason why you should really consider receiving the love of God in the fullest sense of the word is because I feel like without it, you're missing out on the full potential of your life. Because if you don't know the one who designed you, if you don't know the one who created you, then how can you really find your purpose, find your reason for being, and really know yourself to the, to the fullest extent of your identity as someone created by God? Um, yeah. We can try to play it safe. Uh, we can try to not take risks in life. 
But for some strange reason, back many years ago, when I found out that Kelly was interested in my uh, young, and I suffered that broken heart, and I was just lying on my bed in the fetal position, just like rocking myself, crying. For some reason, I felt more alive than I'd ever felt before in my life. I'm not kidding you. I remember thinking to myself, it's like, oh, it hurts, but I feel so alive. (laughs) And I think it's because for me, I'd never put myself out there. I'd never taken a risk to really be vulnerable in my heart, to really let someone come in. That sounds weird. Uh, She was just a crush, but... um, Yeah, to even try doing things that were risky. Try doing something I'd never done before. I'd always played it safe. I'd always uh, just chosen the comfortable way, the easy way. But I think the full experience of life can only be when God is present with you. When you know His love, when you know how much Jesus gave for you, and when you're filled with the grace, um, the power when you feel with God's spirit. Um, so I just want to ask JP to come up. And I'm just going to finish uh, just with a time of prayer. Yeah. So I just want to finish with this. Wherever you are in your relationship with God, whether you're just kind of at the beginning, you're just scratching the surface, whether you're a leader at church, the response that we must have, the response that we need to have um, to God's love is always, it ends up being repentance. And not repentance in the way that, you know, I'm so sorry, God, I'm, sad, I'm so sad and sorry about my sin. But repentance in the sense that I'm turning away from the world and I'm turning to you, Jesus. Even if you screw up, even if you mess up, God just wants you to turn back to him and just trust him again. All he wanted from Abraham was that belief. And that's all he needed. He doesn't need you to be perfect. He doesn't need you to um, earn it. But he wants you to believe and then let that, let your actions be transformed through that. Mm. Yeah. So God gives us his word. God gives us his spirit as signs of his love. And unlike the human love that we see around us, it's never going to fade. And it's always searching for you. Even when you turn away, it's still searching for you. It's still reaching out for you. And it's just waiting for you to respond with faith, with belief. Um, So uh, Pastor JP is just going to play that last praise song that we sang again. But this time I want you to hear those words, my heart burns for you, um, as God saying that to you. Not, God, I love you, I'm going to try to love you so much, but receive it as God declaring his love for you. Just take time to receive it. Don't try and do anything. Don't try to have to like respond with like energy or anything like that. Just take time to receive his love for you. And then um, yeah, I'll just close in prayer for us. Uh, In Romans 8, uh, Paul writes, 
For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yeah, God's, God created the world so that He could have a relationship with you. He gave you His Word. He made that ultimate sacrifice on the cross so that He could know you and that you could receive His love. You're created to receive love and then share it uh, with other people so that they know who God is. And His love is uh, it's not meant to be a burden, but it's meant to set you free. So I'll just pray for us uh, to close in prayer, uh, to close the message. Uh, Father, we just thank you uh, that you have just given everything. You've committed everything to us, God. That you've even given your life, the blood of your son, Jesus, uh, so that we can have a relationship with you that we can receive your love. And and whether we're uh, seeking your heart, whether we're seeking to know you more, to seeking to have that love in our heart, whether at the moment it's gone a bit cold, it's gone a bit stale, and we're struggling, God. I pray, uh, Holy Spirit, that you would just give us a fresh experience, a fresh understanding uh, of your love, of the depth of your love, of the power of your love, God, in our lives. And so, Father, I just thank you, God. Um, and I thank you, God, that you gave us the ultimate demonstration of your love through Jesus and that we can really put our faith in that and to live transformed lives from that place. So we thank you, God, and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.